Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Elmawa Shields. Join us to discuss astrophysics. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world famous question a week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science show. Well, astrophysics. One of 26 black female astrophysicists with PhDs in America. Our guest today, Dr. El Mawa Shields, had a distinguished career in astrophysics. Currently, the Claire Booth Luce Associate Professor in the Department of Physics and Astronomy at the University of California, Irvine. She's a classically trained actor and was named a 2015 TED Fellow and is the recipient of the NSF Career Award and a NASA Habitable Awards Program grant, among others. She's the founder and director of Rising Star Girls, a program dedicated to encouraging girls of all colors and backgrounds to learn, explore, and discover the universe using theater, writing, and visual art. Her new memoir, Life on Other Planets, a memoir of finding my place in the universe. Dr. Shields, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Well, it is certainly a pleasure, certainly a fascinating memoir you've put together here, Life on Other Planets. Here's why you decided to put the memoir together. Well, for many years, I thought that there was something wrong with me, <laughs> you know, that I liked these two seemingly disparate topics, acting and astronomy. And often when I would share that information with other people, I, I got a sense of surprise and how did that happen and how do you, how do you put those together? And so I spent a long time trying to figure out how to put those two things together. And and this book is a journey um, of that sense of discovery, um, that exploration, and really coming to terms with the fact that I it wasn't really my job to try to figure that out. Um, that once I let go of, of trying to reconcile those two sides of myself, enormous possibilities um, – enormous amounts of possibilities manifested in ways that I could never have imagined um, to put those two things together. And and I've since discovered that I'm not alone um, in having um, two career loves, two topics that seem like they're far apart. Um, I've been contacted by people around the world who have either a love for science and arts or, or two or three or four different things that they're trying to figure out how to put together. And so I wrote this book to um, serve as an example, one example of of a way um, that 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 has worked for me um, to find a meaningful life that um, really joins the two. And in fact, that has been the path um, for me in, in finding fulfillment and joy around this is that they really these two things do feed each other and um, and can actually um, help make me a, they, they make me a better human being. Where will that uh, desire, that need to try and reconcile these two feel as externally derived, something internal? It's an interesting question because when I was in high school, I did both. You know, I went to Phillips Exeter Academy purely because they had their own observatory. That was the deciding factor for me. <laughs> um, and then when I got there, 
that was what I did. And then I ended up stumbling into an audition for the play Steel Magnolias and getting a part. And then I found that I loved acting too. And so in high school, there didn't seem to be any conflict. I could do, I could be in plays, I could be a proctor at the observatory, and there wasn't an issue of choosing. But you know, as I got higher and higher up into academia, it seemed as though the dominant paradigm was you figure out what that thing is, that one thing that you love is, and then you do that. And that's what I saw around me, friends and media, that person has that thing that they do. And so I suppose there was a quite a bit of external motivation for wanting to reconcile those parts of me is that that's what I saw done. And I didn't really have a role model for that person that was that could do different things and make a career out of that. And so it, my first impulse was to try to fit in to the dominant culture that I saw around me. Do you feel that being a woman of color, that that was an added pressure, the need to fit in, the, you really couldn't step too far out of the bounds of what was mainstream here? That's true. Yes, that's true. I, when I made my choice, so like I finished high school and it was like you meet with a college counselor and they ask you where you want to go. And once I decided I wanted to be an astronomer, I had that in my head was I'm going to go to this particular university and, and it was MIT. And and then I went there and it's never like what you expect. You know, at least that wasn't the case for me. Um, there was a lot of wonderful and a lot of challenging. And, you know, there were a lot of other blacks. Well, I won't say a lot. There were there were a, there was a small niche of black students that I attached myself to at MIT. And that provided some comfort in this field that I had chosen to be in astronomy, you know, in the physics related disciplines, which are predominantly white males in this in this field. I, again, got to the end of my undergraduate career and it was like time to choose grad school. And although I applied to grad schools in acting and astronomy, I decided to go to to continue on that astronomy path because this was like a dream that I had sort of set out for myself. And it was very scary to think about abandoning a path that I had charted from that young age. And, you know, and yet when I looked around, everyone around me looked different than me. Again, there was that sort of lack of a role model. There was a black male who was on the faculty at the PhD institution that I was that I started out at, but I didn't see any black females. And you know, the faculty at that time seemed so like so far above us lowly grad students, and and that he was the only one, and there were no other black females. And so once I got suggestions to uh, consider other career options, that came from an older white male professor. It was at that stage where. I was already somewhat divided having left acting behind and sort of to stay on this path. It was like any little hint, any little suggestion could sort of knock me over in the wind. And I kind of took that as a sign that I that I didn't belong. You know, I also had I loved makeup and fashion and that didn't seem to be as much of a part of a life, the life of, of an astronomer as, as I was seeing in other careers and, and certainly in the career of acting. And so I, that's when I decided that, okay, this means this isn't for me. Um, I don't really see any other black or brown faces, many other black or brown faces doing what I was doing. This was in the late nineties. I'm going to take that opportunity to try this other path, go back to that other thing that I loved and see if that feels more me. Went back to acting and find what you were looking for there and how was your experience with acting at that point? When I got to acting grad school, it was 
like, it really was like playtime, um, as I describe in the book. It, and it wasn't like, it's not, that doesn't mean that it was easy. What I had come to discover eventually was that it was hard in a different way. It wasn't like I was staying up all night working on problem sets the way I was as an astrophysics grad student, but it was difficult because I had to, they were asking me that my acting instructors were asking me to mine my emotions and feelings and bring them up to the surface and go back into childhood and adolescence and think about all of the feelings that I might have that might be similar to a character that I was being asked to portray. And it was very stark, the contrast between acting grad school and astrophysics grad school, you know, in several ways. And one of the ways that that stood out to me right away was, you know, in, in astrophysics, it didn't seem to matter very much how I felt day to day about being in that program in, in grad school or doing a homework. It was like, do the thing, produce the thing, produce the facts, learn the material, show that you have that foundational knowledge so that you can move on to the next course or the next piece of research. No one ever asked, you know, how are you feeling about what you're doing here in grad school? How are you feeling? You know, what's your family background like? You know, you know, like where do you come from? And here in acting school, that was all of what I was being asked, you know, to do. And, and at the same time, you know, those are, that was for my, my method acting courses, for example, or other types of acting courses. Then we were, you know, we were in our bodies. We were learning how to move in different ways, how to use our voice as an instrument um, that, you know, that we had to train our voices to be able to embody these characters, to be able to use the full range of our voices. And that, that the secret of, to that was to really be in contact with the rest of our bodies. As an astrophysics student, I had been really using the smallest fraction of my body to, com to communicate, you know, basically from the neck up. In acting school, I learned that really to have full power of my voice required me to be in touch with, you know, my spinal column and, you know, as the center of my breathing to be able to use, there's this different, all these different cavities, the chest, the, you know, the nasal resonators, right? All, my, my stomach, my, the diaphragm, the, the lower abdomen part of my body that provided power and support and like learning that my like learning about my body and learning how to use it in those ways really was was empowering and enlivening to me you know and so i you know i had a blast in acting school i sort of felt as though i had left something behind that had that had carried a very heavy weight for me for a long time and i thought that that was enough that like okay so that was the thing i did for the first sort of quarter of my life and now i'm going to do this thing acting for the rest of it and i'm going to be happy i discovered that it was a bit more complicated than that in pursuing this sort of one, did you find that it wasn't fulfilling then the need for that other aspect that had taken up so much a part of your life in that point? I love the way you put that, you know, that, that the sciences, it's, you know, it's, it's about like what's, what's out there discovery and in many ways. And, and yet I was able to just to, to discover that, that they both acting and astronomy, they're both about stories. Yes. Characters those characters are out in the universe just as they are up on the stage or on the screen. So the characters might be planets, stars, galaxies. Planets have their own story of their births, their evolution, and their deaths, and, and stars do as well. And then, of course, characters on the stage, all the characters, the basic tenet of, of 
acting is that every character, whether that character is a hero or a villain, is is looking to live, as um, you know, my method acting teacher used to say, is trying to find fulfillment and joy in in the world. You know, everyone wants to be loved, and understanding that's that the story of that, and you know, perhaps that story is full of obstacles to that, you know, that fulfillment or that that character finding happiness. Right? That's that's a story that that many of us want want to watch. You know, we don't want to watch someone who's wallowing in their pitiful lives, but someone who's trying to be happy and find joy and is having a really difficult time in that, right? That that I can relate to, you know, and probably anyone on the planet can relate to, right? That it's not it's not an easy task to to be happy. Planets and stars have this different, they have different um, experiences of what gives birth to them and how they're able to be either life-bearing worlds, you know, proliferating and and thriving and and full of resources or barren worlds like the planet Venus. Um, so I discovered that the most interesting character that I was wanting to get up in the morning to play as an acting student was actually myself. Um, even after playing all sorts of characters, you know, Natasha and Chekhov's three sisters and Andromache and the Trojan women, you know, all these incredibly powerful, strong, very conflicted women, the most interesting character was really, was me, you know, and I think it was because I had, I had gotten in touch with who I was as a result of being in acting. I was asked to really not turn away from my story, but to look my own story right in the face and the eyes and discover what it was about the universe that really enthralled me from a young age and what it was about acting and telling stories that really got me, you know, that, that made me want to keep doing it over and over again, that being part of a team and putting together some story that when we got up on stage and, and showed it to the world, you know, made other people laugh, you know, their heads off or like cry bitter tears, like that, that there was enormous power and honor in that. Once I got in touch with those two things, that led me to really to understand that there, it, it couldn't be either or, and it was never about either either astronomy or acting. You know, can't be both. That that was a story that I was telling to myself, and that I could choose to stop telling myself that story and instead tell myself a story of of how can this be a both and, you know, and it's like one day, I went, I I had sort of taken that big leap as an actor where I had gotten the SAG card and actually acted in a film and went to Sundance and and saw it premiere and stood up on stage with Glenn Close and Sidney Tamia Poitier and Dakota Fanning, you know, and it was like I was on my way. And then looking up at at the sky, at the night sky, as we, you know, hobbled over mounds of snow outside the theater, I see a little flash of a star. And that wakes me up of, of that's right. <laughs> I had this other life and I miss it. And that was the little seed that was kind of rewatered, so to speak, and catapulted everything else that came before of like asking myself the question again of like, did I really love astronomy? Did I, cause I could probably do, you know, get a better paying day job doing that while I'm auditioning than, you know, what I currently was doing. And, and then I did, you know, I answered that question in the affirmative. Yes, I loved this. And that led to a different day job, which led to like the rekindling of that dream, you know? So I think it all comes back to like, 
the stories that we tell ourselves are, are just stories. And once I realized that, I could tell myself a new story. You know, I, I don't have to replay old tapes that say, you know, you can't do this, you can't, or that, you know, it has to be one or the other, you can't do them both. It's like who, like you asked, you know, who told me that? Some of that was internal, some of it was external, but it all comes down to it was just a story that I, and I can, I can rewrite that story. Um, and it turns out, you know, when I did that, when I rewrote it with a new, a new story of open, you know, and, and how rather than if, then it's like the universe filled in the gap there and showed me how it could happen. Ongoing work now to Rising Star Girls program. Have you found going through this journey that that helps you to relate to role models who are going through the same things that you might have gone through? It does. And I'm so glad you asked me about this program. So, you know, Rising Star Girls is a program that encourages young middle school aged girls of color, of all colors, to explore and discover the universe using the creative arts. So we're using theater and writing and visual art. And we're expressly targeting girls of color, um, meaning girls that are traditionally underrepresented in the field of the sciences and the physical sciences, astronomy um, in the United States um, and in the world, because now we've gone global. But yeah, this this whole idea of like being in touch with how I think and feel about the world. I had a thought, you know, before I even looked into the education literature to see if there was any real basis for that focus being positive when it comes to encouraging girls to learn astronomy. I had this thought of, you know, what if I could use my non-traditional background to teach astronomy? Um, what if it didn't have to be, you know, this sort of traditional here, we're going to teach you what's, what stars are and what planets are and what constellations are and what galaxies are. And then you're just going to know this information and then we'll send you on your way back to your regular school life. What if we, we could use, you know, that personal element that every, every young girl, you know, knows and, and can be in touch with, um, if given the encouragement with how they think and feel about what they're learning. And we don't want that to be separate from what they're learning, as often is the case in traditional school environment. Not all school environments, but but many, where you know there isn't often the opportunity to ask students, you know, how are you how are you feeling about what you just learned? This information, how how you know, are you enjoying it? Are you feeling intimidated about it? Are you feeling worried? Are you feeling scared? How is your family background and what happened that day or that morning at home? How is that informing your ability to be present in class today? Those questions don't often, um, there's not often time in a traditional school environment to ask those questions. So in this program, we are wanting the students, the girls to bring that information into their exploration. So they're not only learning about what planets and stars are, but they get to write poems about those planets and stars. They get to design an exoplanet, their own exoplanet, and make positive choices about whether the planet has life or not, and if not, why not? How many stars does that planet orbit? Um, what kind of landscape does that planet have? Uh, and then they get to make their own artist depiction of that planet in the same way that NASA artists do. We're making you know, guesses about what these exoplanets that we've discovered, these planets orbiting stars other than the sun, which we call exoplanets, what their landscapes might be like because we don't have that information yet. And the girls get to do that themselves too. And they get to learn that 
that nothing that they do in this program is wrong. They can't get it wrong because the creative arts are inherently personal. So no one can read some, uh, you know, a, a poem and say, that's wrong. You know, no, it's not. It came from inside me. It's, it's, you know, it came from my experience and my background and, and how I was feeling at that moment. It's a, it's moving. It's a, you know, it's a moment that's moving through me, which is what I, I heard long ago, which is what a poem is, you know, um, that moment in time. And, you know, they also get to write their own constellation myths because they learn that, that, constellations really are, are merely patterns that many different cultures, not only the Greeks, but African tribes and indigenous nations had their own stories about the patterns they saw in the sky. Um, and they get to write their own myths and, and make their own constellation patterns using um, hole punch paper and, and hole punches, hole punched paper. And all of this is to develop a personal connection um, between the girls themselves and the universe of which they are an integral part so that if they stay in astronomy, as the heavy math comes in, they'll be less likely to abandon their interest merely because things start to get more challenging. You know, they'll feel an owner, a sense of ownership in um, those galaxies and stars and, and planets that they're learning about. Maybe to close, any uh, general life lessons that you feel like you've learned through your life and going through this process? Yes. Well, what I want them to be able to understand and to be open to in reading the book is that there truly is no one way to be a scientist. There's no one way to be an artist. There's no one way to do anything. The way to do it is is your way, their way. And if they don't see a role model out in the world doing what they want to do, that's okay. They can be their own role model. I want them to know that if there are parts of themselves that they feel are not truly being represented, they get to ask that question, how? You know, how how can this be more a part of my life? And it might not mean quitting your job today, because of course we all have financial responsibilities and obligations, familial obligations, but we get to still honor that part of ourselves that may not be getting the necessary attention. You know, dreams don't die. As I say in the book, I left a dream essentially on the side of the road and continued down my path. And after a while, that dream caught up and said, hey, what about me? Um, so I, you know, we get the choice to honor those parts of ourselves. And maybe it's not changing a job, you know, instantaneously, but it might be spending 10 minutes reading a magazine on that topic. If, if the person loves architecture and has always wanted to be an architect and isn't doing that now and feels called to do that, you know, maybe it's spending a few minutes reading a magazine, um, an architecture magazine over their morning coffee or tea, or if they've always wanted to draw, be a cartoonist or, or, you know, have painting more in their life, you know, maybe it's five minutes before bed where they pull out crayons or watercolors or whatever, you know, so it's about giving those small part, those parts of ourselves, small attention, small amounts of time to start. It doesn't take much. And, you know, I don't, I don't get, I don't get to know what the plant or the tree is going to end up looking like. That's not my job. But what I can do is nurture the soil. Um, I'm sticking with this gardening, uh, <laughs> this gardening analogy. So like I get to still 
water the soil and give it the nutrition, the nutrients that it needs. And then I get to step back and let go and allow the universe to show me the possibilities and stay open. We were talking with Dr. Aomua Shields, her new book, Life on Other Planets, a memoir of finding my place in the universe. Dr. Shields, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking. Thank you.